We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. This episode is presented to you by Roman. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest again. We got Billy Reinhardt of Nets Daily. What's up, fellas? How we doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Man, we're getting Nets alum on this Buzz podcast. I'm absolutely buzzing today. <laughs> Big Nets win, too. 105-102 over Denver in Barclays. We'll get into it, though. Quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. But, Billy, obviously, you were there at Barclays Center. What was the most impressive thing about this win? I think it's that the Nets are kind of forming an identity that they can win games when their offense isn't clicking. They only had seven threes tonight. Their offense was somewhat efficient, but they won this game with their defense. They really locked in with this new lineup since Kyrie Irving went down, and they've become a top 10, top 5 even defensive team over that span so that's very encouraging moving forward and there's no reason it can't continue when Irving gets back in the lineup yeah I'm, I'm salivating to see when Karras and Kyrie come back what this team can become because I think the the tricklings the the, the moments of sort of defensive identity was were just building and building and building and we saw some big moments in Charlotte and, and now to, to see it against you know one of the best teams in the NBA at least record-wise in Denver was a really positive sign. For me, it was the fact, probably what Billy said, the fact that three ball wasn't falling, but the fact that they had a game plan, they rebounded well, they attacked and drived and, and hit Nikola Jokic with everything they got. And, you know, when you let Spencer Dimity drive, he's going to do some dangerous things. Yeah, it was really impressive on an aspect that the offense wasn't clicking. We've seen the Nets get big wins against, you know, better teams when the three-point shot is knocking down. But in this game, like Billy mentioned, you mentioned Jack, you know, they held Denver to 25 points or less at a three out of the four quarters. Felt like that was really big. But also the fact they were able to win a close game against a team that has more talent than them with the injuries they have. How are they able to do that in terms of close out a close one against a Denver team? 
Well, I think Denver's proven to be a, a good matchup for the Nets over the last couple of years. And I think yeah. a lot of that has to do with Jared Allen and his success against Nikola Jokic. For whatever reason, Jokic is one of the best centers in the league, a really tough guy to go against. But Jared Allen seems to play him really, really well. I think his quickness gives Jokic problems. And that's obviously run a ton of pick and roll and their guards get downhill. And Jokic just can't seem to move his feet well enough to cover against the penetrating guard on the help defense and then get back to Allen. So I think that's part of it, how just how they match up with Denver. And then, like I said, the Nets are really locking in defensively. Offensively, they're sharing the ball. Everyone seems to kind of know their role. Dinwiddie's obviously orchestrating up top with Allen, and then they'll hit Harris on curls every once in a while. He'll do a little playmaking off of that, and everyone just seems to kind of have their roles right now. You'll get some big shots from Garrett Temple and maybe four to six points a game from a surprise guy. Tonight it was Jean Musa. I think he hit seven total. Uh, so just everybody's kind of doing their part, and uh, roles are being established. So it's going to be interesting once you get Kyrie and Karras back, how everybody kind of – remeshes together because it's going to take a little bit of time to get the, the new group working together but right now they, they're where they're rolling and they they really kind of got a good thing going yeah those defensive stops late were were crucial you know toy and prince garrett temple coming up big jared allen you know just keeping the ball out in the Jokic's hands he had that one bucket late where he sort of you know backed his his large thickness whatever you want to call it <laughs> in like but i want to throw a comment at you billy because you put this on twitter and it was a funny comment and it, it might have some truth to it nikola Jokic, you saying he is one of the most unfit un un let's go not <laughs> quick blokes in uh when it comes to the four major american sports well, somebody put on Twitter, uh, can Nikola Jokic beat Tom Brady in a race? And there, there's no way that's happening, first of all. Jokic, <laughs> that's a great question. Jokic <laughs> waddles down the court. There's nothing, there's nothing against Nikola Jokic. He's a great player. But that's, running is not his strength. He waddles up and down the court. And then there's that story that came out a couple of weeks ago that Tom Brady often challenges his backup quarterbacks to races, and he often beats them. So I don't think Jokic would do well there. And then I'm thinking around the NBA. I don't know if there's a slower player. Maybe if Simbular, the center from a few years ago, was still in the league, maybe him. But he's not around anymore. I think Boban Marjanovic is actually a little bit faster in terms of getting yeah. that court. So I, I, I really think in basketball he has the – he has it there, and then there's really nobody that's that big in baseball that he's going to be slower than. So I think baseball is out. Hockey, it's hard to tell. I kind of put that as a caveat. And then football maybe got an offensive lineman or two, but I don't know. They got to get out and make some lead blocks. So <laughs> I think it might be Jokic. And talking about Jokic, it's funny, but it also was just an area the Nets exploited the entire game. The offense, it almost felt like the Nets were doing better when Jokic was on the court than when he was Definitely. off. You know, Mason Plumley was able to do some things defensively in that fourth quarter when Jokic came in. I almost felt relieved because, hey, I knew Spence and Jared Allen, all they had to do was run a pick and roll and offense was going to come. Definitely. Uh, that's part of the reason the Nets have had success against the Nuggets. Even the game in Denver, they had that huge halftime lead. They kind of let up a little bit in the second half. But Jokic just doesn't do well in pick and roll. And the Nets run a ton of pick and roll. And they got a lot of speed to get downhill and make a move in space. So um, that's a problem for the Nuggets. And Surprisingly, they've been, I think, the NBA's second-best defensive team or top five in most metrics this season, which kind of surprised me with having Jokic in the middle and the deficiencies that I see when you watch him play. But um, I think that's a problem for them moving forward, and I don't think they're a championship contender just because of that reason, and they really don't have a true superstar. I'm not as high on Jokic as everyone else is, but um, he's obviously a very good player and an all-star. Yeah, I'm not as high on Jamal Murray either, just as a sort of a second piece, and they obviously gave mm -hmm. him that lofty contract in the preseason. You know, all their starters were negative when it came to plus to minus. All our starters were positive. 
all their bench players were positive, all our bench players were negative. I mean, our, our bench obviously really struggled to create offense in, in so many ways. But, you know, Nikola Jokic, he had an okay night when you're looking at the stat line, but the impact and, you know, 66 paint, point paints to 22. They attacked him, attacked him, attacked him, and he had no answer for them down low. Jared Allen, like you mentioned, Billy, and then, you know, Spencer Dimwini's driving. You know, Nikola Jokic isn't Joel Embiid by any stretch. Yeah, Spence had no problem scoring on him. I mean, he scored at him from about every angle. There was really no contest. He just can't move his feet, and it doesn't feel like he ever jumps. So great game plan by the Nets, and hopefully they can continue to exploit him if they match up in the future. But getting into some of the starters, another really nice game from Spencer Dinwiddie. 24 points, 10 of 17 from the field, 8 assists, continues to lead this team and plays it close to an all-star level, if not at it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was tweeting about it a little bit today. I think he deserves to be an all-star, and I'd love to find a spot for him. It might be tough to fit him in, just looking at the numbers of it, but he's certainly deserving. He's been great since Kyrie Irving has gone down, and we've seen this over the years. Whenever Dinwiddie needs to be relied upon for stretches of a season, he really sets up, steps up his play to being one of the best players in his conference, and this has been an extended absence for Irving at this point, and Dinwiddie's really come to play, and he's so versatile in his game. Obviously, he could do some stuff on the defensive end. He's versatile. Um, but you still saw today, the Nets didn't hit a lot of threes. I'm not even sure how many Dinwiddie took off the top of my head. I'm not sure Three. he ate one. How, did he make any? Nope. No, no. Exactly, yeah. And he was just, it felt like he was just taking it to the rim over and over yeah. again, twisting and turning his way through the paint. And one thing I noticed about him, he never uses his left hand. He's it's crazy. <laughs> when he comes up on the left side of the rim, he's always going up with his right hand, and he's so proficient at scoring at the rim, but really kind of sticks with that right hand. So, that's interesting to see right there, but just his combination of size, speed, athleticism, length. Uh, it's so tough to deal with when he's coming off the screen and coming downhill to the lane. Yeah, that quick first step, he can create a lot of separation. He's underrated in his quickness. I think a lot of guys probably don't recognize that as, as a key strength of his, especially when he is driving and he gets to switch on. You know, Kyrie Irving late, you know, signaling, go left, go left. And Spencer must have the eyes in the back of his head because that's exactly what he did. Like you were mentioning, Billy, finished with the right and, and he finished it well and you know, gave the Nets that extra possession, a little bit extra time as well for the two for one, if that came to that. He, he's leading this team. He is an absolute leader right now. And Jared Allen mentioned the other night that, you know, the standard that he's setting after a lot of these 30-point performances and, you know, his assist, I think at the start of the season and even towards last season, it was about him finding his identity as where his passing game has sort of gone. And now in the sort of pick and roll system, he's throwing lobs left, right and center to DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. And he is finding those guys. He knows what they like to have. He knows their spots. He has been he's been playing all star basketball. I know Nick doesn't think he's an all star. I certainly do. <laughs> you asked changed. me that like two weeks ago. Don't care. I always <laughs> I, I know my guy. I'm sticking with Spencer. It's all about the goatee. He one thing I I think like we could get like daily memes and gifts from Spencer Dimwitty's reactions from every time he drives. He always and like because the goatee kind of moves with like his mouth and the <laughs> eyes. I'm all about Spencer Dimwitty and his facial reactions. I think one area you mentioned it, Jack, his passing, his ability to hit guys on the perimeter, he just wasn't hitting some of these passes, especially Joe Harris in the corner or Torian Prince in the corner. He's improved, and it's it's just like kind of unexpected. We thought maybe last year was the best version of Dinwiddie, but he's taken his game to another level. And Billy pointed out some things, too. Defensively, I think he's really stepped up this year. And his ability to drive the rim only had in the right hand, he gets away with it because he's so good at contorting his body to almost get himself in a reverse situation where he shouldn't be. And, Nick, you mentioned uh, the growth that Spencer Dinwiddie's had this season in terms of his passing. Kenny actually mentioned that post game today. He was saying how 
He thinks one of the main areas of growth for Dinwiddie this season has been in terms of reading the defense, reading and reacting. And that's so much of what the Nets offense is. They run very few plays compared to the rest of the league. They kind of just have a couple initial actions on a screen curl for Joe Harris, or they go straight into pick and roll. And you're just from there, you're reading and reacting, finding the open man based on how the defense helps. So Kenny mentioned how he thinks Dinwiddie's improved in that regard. And you definitely see it. And he's a good passer. I wouldn't say he's a top passer in the league, but he's smart with his passes. Remember a couple of years ago, he was among the league leaders in the league in assisted turnover ratio. So yeah. he's a smart passer. He's not going to give the ball up a lot. And he's doing a great job leading the Nets. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day. Or, sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation, ongoing care from ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you, free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started with Roman is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire, complete an online visit. Rectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit, free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Now talking about two of the other starters, Joe Harris, Torian Prince, not necessarily their best shooting nights from the field and from three, but it still felt like they both had positive impacts on the game, especially Torian, who usually when he's not shooting well, doesn't necessarily have a great game, but Prince put up 11 rebounds and four assists and had a couple nice defensive plays. Yeah, I believe Torian Prince had only two points going to the fourth. You can check me on that. I'm not exactly sure, but I think it was two if I remember glancing at the scoreboard correctly. But uh, as you said, what he finished with nine points, 11 rebounds, four assists. He's becoming a better and better passer. Another guy who's moving the ball. I think he's becoming more comfortable in this system in terms of making the right reads. Um, but he, he's had some four to six assist games over the last few. And I, I think that's a big uh, aspect the Nets are, are really enjoying from their front court production because they don't really have a front court passer. And I think that's something that's really helping them right now. Um, someone that can put the ball in the deck and do some different things. So, Big there. He got the final defensive rebound off the, the big defensive yeah. stop late in the game. That was huge. And then one thing I love, the little thing that people might not notice, he got that ball there. And normally you'll try and get into a uh, best player's hands or your guard's hands. He took it and he kept dribbling. He wanted to take those free throws. And the Nets have had some problems late game shooting free throws this season. They've blown a few games. Dinwiddie missed one in, in Memphis where they lost that game. And uh, I love that from a player where you're going to say, give me those free throws, but then even better, he connects on both of them to huge makes. That could be a a really different scenario there if he doesn't connect on both. And then he forces Murray to miss miss that three at the buzzer coming off the switch. So uh, really good final minute sequence from uh, from Torian Prince. Torian Prince is just another tick for the development system and the culture of Brooklyn. You know, he, the way, obviously, we saw these glimpses in Atlanta for those that were probably watching him. He had the potential to be a positive 3 and D performer. I think his defense is now above average. I still think he has ways to go because he has so many tools that I think can make him a really positive defender. And I remember at the start of the season, I'm like, he's the starting four for the Nets. And everyone was like, well, what about, what about Rodion's? He's a, he's a three Torians. He's a three. Why, why are we talking about playing him at the four? He is a perfect four in today's day and age. And obviously, 
Nick, as you mentioned, you know, they didn't, there were three of a three of 11 from the field of Torian Prince and Joe Harris combined, but they draw so much gravity anyway. And they're still going to put up those shots. It doesn't, just because they're missing them, I still believe and want the ball in either of those guys' hands because they are absolute flames. And, you know, his rebounding and passing, I think, like Billy mentioned, are two areas that I think are really, really positive. And when he's not affecting the game as a scorer, I think he's still affecting the game in a positive way, which at the start of the season, we probably wouldn't have said. Yeah, 100%. And today he looked a lot more comfortable driving and creating and dropping it off for Jared Allen. And Kenny mentioned that, I think, in his press conference. Billy could confirm. But teams are going to start to try to push Brooklyn off that three-point line. They need to take advantage of that drive to the rim, and they have a great finisher in Jared Allen down low to hit. And that's a good point about Torian. He's more – Nets have over the last few years have had a lot of kind of strictly role-player guys. You're going to be a catch-and-shoot player on the offensive end. And maybe you try and fit Prince into that mold. But I think you're starting to see more and more – like really what he could do with the ball in his hands. He's a real kind of typical forward in terms of he could kind of do everything. He could, from the three-point stance position, he could pass, dribble, shoot, and uh, he's put the ball on the floor, and he's got some creative moves, whether it's up and under layups we've seen in between game, fadeaways off the dribble shots. So he could do a lot of things on the offensive end, and he's still young, and the Nets just signed him to that extension. He's a guy who's going to get better, and I think when you put him next to a Durant and Irving's going to have even more space to operate. And he's going to be empowered by the two of them, I think, to improve his game and really play well. I think he's someone they really respect in terms of how he plays the game. So um, I think he's going to get better and better. And you can see the confidence oozing, like you mentioned, with the free throws. You can see in all aspects of his game, he thinks he's very good, and I think he can get to another level. But talking a little bit about Joe Harris, we mentioned, not necessarily his biggest game. I think a lot of credit goes to Denver, really pushing him off that three-point line and making his life difficult. Yeah, Denver's a good defensive team, and whenever you're playing a really good defensive team, they're going to be in sync with the scouting report, and everyone around the league now knows how great of a shooter Joe Harris is. And the Nets don't really run a ton of different actions for him. It's kind of like I said, he comes up curling around the side, shoots that three coming right at the top of the key, so um, or he'll get something off a ball movement. But they don't run a lot of plays for him, and uh, Denver just kind of did a good job kind of contesting those threes in terms of bringing the big up off the screen or, or switching that or getting the guard to come over hard. So... Uh, didn't have as many looks as you maybe would like. He did have a few open misses, but solid game overall from Joe Harris. I'd probably say it's an average game, and uh, it's not going to hurt you with that performance at all. No, not at all. You're still two of five from three, you know, 40%. That's above average for most performers, but when you're the third best shooter in the league out of active players, then, you know, it's a, it's a poor night for him. But, you know, he did get to the line a couple of times. Joe knows how to make the right reads. Like sort of Billy was alluding to, everyone sort of has this comfort level with Kyrie Irving out and Karras out. They're, you know, we're sort of establishing, you know, what is the person's role? How many looks am I going to get? Is Spencer going to find me? What is the second unit? What is their role? How can they contribute? But Joe Harris, you know, I think this is, if this is a poor game from Joe Harris, I'll take it any day of the week. He hits a couple of threes, makes a couple of passes, and always makes the right reads. Yeah, and you love the gravity and spacing he provides, and you could tell the defense was intense because he had five free throws, and they were all on fouls on jump shots, so they were kind of overplaying him a bit. What did you guys think of the game Garrett Temple had today? 15 points, 6 of 15 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, 6 rebounds, 3 assists. Garrett Temple continues to surprise me in just, like, how good of a scorer he is and shooter. I mean, when you look at his career numbers coming into the season, he doesn't stand out as a great shooter. I think he's about 35%, 36% for his career. That's okay. But it's not anything that sets the world on fire. Maybe he's due for a little bit of a regression. But right now, he's playing absolutely great. And Kenny called him after the game their power scorer as an off-ball player right now. Like, he's their lead power scorer as an off-ball player. And he's kind of filling up to that role. And he, he's been just great for the Nets. And he's one of those guys where 
he's not just strictly an offensive or defensive player. You can leave him out there all game, late game, and he's going to give you really good effort on both sides of the ball. So he's been pivotal, pivotal excuse me, pivotal for this Nets team. And he's one of those guys I was thinking maybe could he be a trade piece eventually just because he's one of the few non-core pieces they have at a non-minimum salary. Um, but but he's definitely going to have to stick around for this team because he's proving to be such a valuable piece right now, both on the floor and in the locker room. Yeah, I think Kyrie was the guy that sort of was, I-, I want this guy on my team. Obviously, he wasn't the key reason why he came. I think that Temple did know that there would be a key role for him on and off the court. And, you know, he has absolutely thrived with the increased responsibility. Like you mentioned, Billy, he's playing both ends of the floor, you know, some key defensive stops. He's playing some of the best defense of his career. I mean, I'm obviously not necessarily going to remember a heap of Wizards and Sacramento stops that he got, but he's playing some of the best basketball that he's ever played in his age 33 season. And I think we've spoken about that, and I guess it alludes to a sort of point I made earlier about the player development. Guys will continue to improve no matter what age you are in this Brooklyn Nets system if you understand your role and you play it and you execute. And Garrett Temple is doing that to the nth degree. You know, he's playing a lot of time at the second unit as well in, in certain situations and in certain matchups. He is so important and is the perfect veteran any roster would love to have. And, you know, obviously he's on it. I know, Nick, you've mentioned before in terms of the deal that he got is one of the steals of the offseason playing awesome basketball. Yeah, I think uh, Spencer Dinwiddie mentioned this once. The greatest drug known to man is the green light. And Garrett Temple has a green light from Kenny Atkinson. I think that's why you're seeing the improvement in three-point shooting. He just looks more comfortable out there. I don't know if he's had this many shot attempts in his career, and he's taking advantage of it. He's just a consistent pro on and off the court. But getting to the bench a little bit, who impressed you off the bench today? Anybody? I think John Amusa. Uh, I wouldn't say anyone really had an outstanding game off the bench, but Moose is a guy who hasn't really given anything positively as of, positive as of late um, for this Nets team. And he's someone that's kind of been talked about a little bit as possibly being on the chopping block with Wilson Chandler coming off the suspension list on Sunday. So it was good to see Musa get out there, knock down his first couple shots, lose a layup and a floater, which easy shots he has to make those, get himself in rhythm. And then <laughs> he kind of <laughs> got a little cocky oh, there. He felt about it. 28-footer. Um, it was kind of later in the shot clock. You definitely could have gotten a better look than that. But overall, pretty good game. Seven points. Did some things. Didn't look like he was out of place on the floor, which is probably the most important thing. He's kind of looked a little out of place as of late. Um, so I was encouraged by Musa and then Nwaba and Shumper. They always bring that defensive intensity. Jordan does what he does. So um, everyone else kind of played the way they normally do. Um, but Musa was definitely the most encouraging sign off the bench today. Yeah, I thought this was Moose's best game in a very, very long time. But, you know, in saying that, I think he was played in the right lineups. I liked how Coach Kenny was putting him in lineups alongside Spencer Dillney. So it opened the floor for him. So he wasn't forced to create. You know, he wasn't in lineups alongside Penson a lot of the time. So when you have both of those guys out there at the same time, the offense stagnates to, you know, a massive degree. I just love David Nawaba so damn much. I could speak about that boy forever. The way he just... Always brings energy, and he not doesn't just bring in intangible energy. He's moving. He's a constant movement machine. Like we know, Joe Harris loves to move off screens because there's a lot of sets that are made for him. But David Nwaba will make back cuts. He'll make front cuts. He'll make screens. He just has so much athleticism and energy on both sides of the floor. You know, you can't not love him. And you know, I remember at the start of the season, you know, when we were sort of contemplating who was gonna. You know, be on the chopping block if Wilson Chandler came back and Nawaba seemed to be the likely guy. But in the last five or six games, you know, he's earned regular rotation minutes alongside Shumpert in terms of guys that are perfect defensive role players. And when you're going like, 
different sort of lines you want, all defense line, all offense line. David Nwaba is that perfect guy to have. And, you know, I think he's sort of an upgraded version of Trevion Graham in a lot of ways because I think he has a mm-hmm. bit more athleticism. I like his three-point shot a little bit more, not to say that, you know, it's amazing. He might have maybe the best three-point shot out of the guys off the bench, but that's not saying a lot. I like Shumpert's mechanics probably more, but at least Nwaba has the confidence and he's hitting them a little bit. Yeah, and I think you like Nawaba because of the way he attacks the rim. You know, he's not an amazing finisher, but he goes in and he gets aggressive, like you mentioned with those cuts, Jack sets himself up. But Musa, you know, he had the positives, but those deep threes just really stuck out, especially the one in the first half. And then I think there was one in the second half where he had an ISO on Jokic. And Jokic, yeah, I remember yeah. that. And it's like, man, you already Drive. cooked Jokic in the first quarter or the first half of this game. You know you can do it. This is a shot you can get at any point in the game, like especially you. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I already hate when guards, when they, when, they, when they have a big on them that they could blow by when they pull up and shoot a three. But even worse for Musa, he hasn't shown to be a good shooter. But regardless of that, like the shot he pulled up on was a deep three. He could have gotten a little closer to the line. Jokic was sagging off of him. So he 100%. Needs to, yeah, he used to refine his shot selection. That's going to improve his percentages. And from there, he'll make more shots and gain more confidence. So it's kind of a trickle-down effect that he has to kind of re-correct uh, there, which I don't know. I, I Back to Nwaba, though. I think that Nwaba might have been the guy that was at risk of getting cut up until yeah. a couple weeks ago when he got back in the, the rotation because he kind of had maybe similar skill set to Shumpert. They want to keep the young guys. It made sense from that perspective since he wasn't getting playing time. I wouldn't have done it because I'm a believer in Nwaba's game. But now that he's come in the rotation, he's playing so well, it really kind of offers a conundrum for the Nets. Like, wh- what are they going to do now? They have to either cut bait on one of their young players and pinch in Kuruks or Musa, two of which have guaranteed contracts for a couple of seasons, former draft picks um, just a year ago. Or they got to just cut bait on Wilson Chandler because Shumpert's not going anywhere. So um, really interesting decision coming up the next couple next couple days. Yeah, and you love the way Nawaba and Shumpert play together too, just bring that energy and defensive toughness. So you're, I just don't think you're going to get rid of those guys. Billy, who's your pick for them to kind of drop in the situation, maybe cut or possibly look for a trade? It's tough because you. Every time I go into that locker room and I, I you listen to the players, they they all talk about Theo Pinson, how much he means to the team. I think heart and soul Spencer, by Dinwiddie today. Exactly, Spencer Dinwiddie called him the heart and soul today. He said Shumpert's just been unbelievable in the locker room. Jordan, like those are the three guys they name when they talk about the the culture of the locker room. It's Pinson, Shumpert, and Jordan. And I'm not sure if you could pull that out. Um, I think the Nets would be fine, um, but I'm not sure if they're going to do that. For me. I think when you look at Pinson, Musa, and Kuruks, take away Kuruks' legal thing right now because you don't really know how it's going to go. Um, but if, around the league, Kuruks and Musa being recent draft picks, Kuruks having shown something last season, Musa being so young still, they have somewhat of value. I'm pretty sure you can get at least a second-round pick for them. Theo Pinson was a four-year college player, 24 years old already. He was undrafted. Uh, he was in the G League all of last season as a two-way player. And... Uh, I just don't think he has a ton of value around the league. I, I do like some of the things he can bring, um, and he's a better player, I think, right now than Musa. But in terms of the value that he has around the league, I think if you cut him, he's not necessarily going to get picked up by a team. Um, whereas Musa and Kuroks, I think a team would take a chance on both immediately. Um, so that's kind of my decision there. Also going forward, the next three years for this Nets team were four years total, I guess. This team's going to get better every single year. You're going to have veteran players that are going to take minimum salaries when KD's back next year and they really see a championship window rather than this year where it's kind of just in limbo while Kyrie runs the ship. And then you're going to have guys in the buyout market that you're going to want to add. So 
if Pinson or even Musa are on the chopping block right now in year one, their roster spots are going to be hard to come by in the next couple of seasons unless they take a big leap forward. Who's going to be more likely to take a big leap forward? I think it's Musa or Kuroks than, than Pinson. So Pinson would be the guy for me, even with everything he brings to the locker room. I'd hope he gets through waivers, maybe cut TLC, sign him back as a two-way. Um, yeah. But I, I kind of get the feeling it might be Kuroks or Wilson Chandler. I think it's interesting. It, I think it might be between Kuroks and Wilson Chandler because they play similar position. Kuroks has not gotten any minutes since the beginning of the season. He looked dreadful. And um, if Kuroks can't get minutes right now without Chandler, with really no one that plays his true position in front of him, when Chandler gets back, that's just another guy he has to leapfrog. And I can't see that happening right now. And I think Kuroks might have the yips. Um, that's kind of a familiar term in baseball when players just kind of lose lose confidence in throwing the ball to bases and stuff. I feel like Kuroks might have it. Could have just been a fluke, but I was watching him pregame warm-ups today. He airballed his first two free throws. And, and he hasn't looked good in G League either. I know I've seen some of his stat lines. I know one of them was pretty pitiful. Yeah, but like, so he was shooting the three okay in warm-ups, and it could have just been an odd thing that happens. Who knows when you pick up a basketball sometimes. Just weird things happen, but I just kind of stood out to me. Two free throws in a row, the first two, he airballed. And he just hasn't looked confident, fluid this season. I would not be surprised with the legal issues looming over him if, if they got rid of Kuroks. But at the same time, with everything that's happened, maybe they cut Wilson Chandler. Yeah, it was interesting to see Wilson Chandler in the team photo, I think, either yesterday or the day before. That was and cool. Yeah, so it's like maybe he'll be part of the team. You don't really have an idea on that. And then the whole Rodeons, he feels separated from the team. And just like something is up with him. Jack and I have kind of mentioned on a couple of shows is like there's illegal stuff, but there might be something else too that we don't know about. Possibly. But I think that's enough on the bench. Obviously, we got a little bit of an update on Kyrie Irving before the game. Uh, Kenny, I believe, said they'll start working him into the team practices over the next week or two. Yes. What do you expect on that, Billy? Have you heard anything? Do you have any feel for that situation, obviously being around the team a bit in the locker room? I don't think you're going to see him this week. Um, I think they have a couple opportunities to practice over the next couple of weeks. I think two this week and one next week. They could obviously add another one in there if they need to. Um, but ideally, you'd hope that Sunday he's ready because it makes sense with the schedule. But I, I think that's a little bit of wishful thinking. So I, I'm not sure if we're going to see him until maybe around Christmas, if not soon, soon after that. I think he'll definitely be back by by January 1st, but I don't think him and Lavert are that far away from each other in terms of returning. I think Irving does come back earlier, but I think it's still going to be another week and a half, two weeks until we see Kyrie back on the floor. Um, and that's a very tight lift to bat, and not too much comes out about that. So I'd take their word for it, um, and that's basically all you can do. But uh, I'm not really too worried about it long-term rest of the season. It's something they might need to maintain a little bit, but we see the depth that this team has. I think they could definitely – um, do that for Kyrie and I personally for me you got four years of title window for this team the next three especially when KD comes back or who knows maybe the end of this year god willing but um, Kyrie might have to get something cleaned up in his shoulder this offseason if, if it takes him missing a couple months at the beginning of next season once KD's back too and he's got he's got to go through a shoulder surgery of Paul George I'm completely guessing right now too because I'm not a doctor I don't know what it entails but if that's something he has to go through and miss a couple months to start next season Totally go for that, Kyrie. You cannot lose missing him any more pivotal time when it really counts. It would be the worst case scenario if they get into a playoff series 
for going into the playoffs and they have KD and they're really supposed to win and they have limited years that they can win. And Kyrie has to miss time with a shoulder injury. So if he has anything nagging, if we learned anything from Darren Williams and his ankle injuries, just get the <laughs> surgery done. We don't want it lingering. Just get it done. So um, I try and get through the season, see how it responds. And then in the offseason, see if you need to correct anything. And I think it's yes. one thing you can feel, sorry to cut you off, Jack, feel confident about the Nets is this, this regime handles injuries the right way. Yeah, I think that the medical staff, it's one of the key takeaways and, and key drawing points to Kyrie Irving and Katie, why they would even come here in the first place. I think Kyrie would be very happy that there's no leaks coming out about, oh, he actually has this or he actually has that. You know, Co Coach Kenny, when he's saying, you know, he's seen plenty of complicated sort of injuries and there's going to be plenty more complicated ones to come his way. You know, these guys are, it's a player first organization and they're always going to be sheltered. And I mean, it leaves us fans in the dark a little bit, but it's, it's a little bit frustrating. But at the end of the day, this season doesn't have as high a stakes like Billy has been mentioning as it does one, two, three years down, down the track where we should hopefully be contending, you know, for the, for the ultimate prize. At the end of the day, Kyrie's got to get healthy. He's an injury prone player. There's always something. He's he suffered a, a shoulder injury in Boston as well to the same shoulder. Shoulder impingement is, is so vague that it, I, I mean, I don't necessarily know. I mean, there was the New York Post article saying that, you know, there's rotator cuff stuff. There's, you know, different little things. There's so many muscles and joints in there. You don't know what is actually going on. And because, you know, we noticed it in, in a lot of games, how a lot of his shots were coming up short. I'm like, it looks like there's something there. And his shot is so important. It's one of his weapons. You know, he's one of the best three-point shooting point guards at his best. You know, you throw in Dame and, and Stephen Curry, who's in a league of his own. You know, he needs to be shooting well because it's one of the key draw points to his game other than, obviously, the dazzling skills that he provides. And, you know, it's almost like a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways because now we can see, you know, growth from Jared Allen, growth from Spencer Dimity, growth from Torian Prince. And hopefully when Kyrie's reintegrated, those guys are at another level above and you add in a superstar like Kyrie Irving, that should only elevate the team, despite what Bill Simmons says. Yeah, just the one... So, sorry, Nick. The, the one encouraging thing about Kyrie, I'd say, is that he has been participating in on-court activity in terms of shooting and dribbling solo activity at this point. Um, no contact yet, but the fact that he's shooting, dribbling back to all that, that's a good sign because, as you mentioned, we saw him the last couple of games in Denver and Utah. He seemed to be coming up, on sh coming up short on a lot of his shots, so obviously it was affecting his shooting. So if he's back to shooting now and, and dribbling, it seems that he's maybe past that at least. I'm not sure what the hurdle is in terms of him make, uh, returning to contact, but um, that's definitely an encouraging sign that he's not too far away. Yeah, you would think something with it being contact-related would be stability of the shoulder, but I'm not a doctor either, so I'm not going to dive any farther into that. But hopefully he's back sooner than later. Like Billy mentioned, this is actually like more of an ideal time for this injury to happen. Beginning of the season, it's not in a playoff series. You know, they can diagnose it and kind of figure out what's wrong. But any final thoughts you guys want to get out of here? Uh, Nets are looking pretty good. 13-10, and 10, trending upward. It's going to get a lot of attention that the Nets are 90-3 and three without Kyrie Irving, but I've said this before, I've tweeted this out. This kind of run and better play started before Kyrie Irving went out. Since that West Coast trip started in Portland, they had that big win in Portland. They threw up the stinker in Phoenix, but aside from that game in Phoenix, they've been playing good basketball since. Uh, they, they had that really good first half against Utah, kind of fell off in the second half as they're still trying to get more consistent. Same thing happened in Denver, but those are the two of the hardest places to play in the league when you take into account the altitude. They beat, they beat Chicago, came home, beat up on some bad teams, but they were also not at full strength. So um, this team's been playing better for a while now, and I'm confident that when Kyrie comes back, it might take a few games to get him into the swing of things, but 
I'm confident that this team is moving in the right direction. And they're going to be able to integrate them fairly easily. Yeah, I'm confident in that because, you know, I have a lot more faith in Coach Kenny than probably, you know, I ever have in terms of what he's been able to get out of these players and, and how he's been making the rotations and the adjustments. One question I want to ask you both before we end this one. Is KD now going to leave looking because Spencer won't high-five him? <laughs> I think we're good. I think he. I think we're good, Jack. So, and he got, I, I like how he got the Jamal Murray. He did his like little slingshot. I, oh, I love. I was just gonna bring that. Oh. I absolutely love that because I was when I'm watching the game. You always see Jamal Murray do these different antics, and I don't think he's a good enough player to be doing no. that necessarily. Where unless someone's gonna respond to him, but he always he had that thing with the against the Celtics a couple of years ago where he shot the ball to get 50 points at at the end of the game. Kyrie didn't love that. Threw that into the stand. So it was a little bit of beef maybe there. And then KD didn't like that either. I'm watching that. He hits a half-court buzzer beater, takes a one-point lead to the half. Wow, big deal. Um, does the arrow thing. Um, now, I'm not a fan of when Steph Curry does all that stuff either. Everyone has their own things. But um, when he does his shimmying and stuff. But KD, the competitor, he is joking around at the end of the game doing the arrow to mock Jamal Murray. Love that. You need more of that in the game. And especially a guy on the Nets that actually can, like, talk shit back. And, exactly. <laughs> and you have to respect it because it's KD. It's not like some no-name player. But, Billy, a pleasure having you on for the first time. Tell the people where they can find you on Twitter and find your work. Yeah, you guys can find me at Billy Reinhardt on Twitter. And you can read my stuff over at Nets Daily. Uh, hopefully, you can see a lot of you guys follow me. I'll follow a lot of you back. Yeah, I mean, if you don't follow that dude, then you're not, uh, you're not a part of the Twitter alum. <laughs> appreciate it <laughs> and as always you can find the buzz on itunes spotify google play otgbasketball.com netsrepublic.com and bluewirepods.com sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on Showtime. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code program.